and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and this week I have the regular crew. I have Mark, and I have Steve. Mark, how are you today? I'm doing breezy. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Yes. And Steve? I'm blowing it away. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hurricane jokes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you know, uh, my co-hosts Mark and Steve are down in Orlando. Um but yeah, they're they're trying to uh, to fight off the the hurricane down there. Yes, yeah, so it kind of turned to the east and just kind of exhale strongly a lot. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wave our arms to the east, and you know. Right now, yeah. I'm I'm Get hoping your, to, point, to point roll a your twenty fans. on my dodge roll. Is basically yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but like always, we're going to start off with our segment, Wish of the Week. of the week we talk about anything we're excited for from movies to rpgs to video games this week uh let's start with steve do you have something exciting um well okay i'll tell you what i've been sort of off the um tabletop gaming like board game kind of uh thing lately because my regular gaming group kind of split up but I've, there's something that just came out that i've got my eye on i i really i think i'm gonna have to pick it up because it looks kind of amazing it's a uh, uh, marvel champions lcg uh, by Fantasy Flight, they've been making mm. these kind of LCGs forever, and that basically means it's sort of uh, um, LCGs are kind of uh, it's it's like uh, sort of evolving card games where they make a lot of expansions, but they make them in in preset decks and 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 packs and boxes, not in randomized packs like Magic. Um, and uh, yeah. that way, they generally tend to have sort of like monthly mini expansions, and, and the content stays fresh that way. But they're making one about Marvel, okay? And I've been sort of off of these for a while, because typically they tend to be two-player affairs, which doesn't work for my group at all. And normally we tend to gravitate towards co-op games. Well, they've made a four-player co-op LCG called Marvel Champions. And hmm. who doesn't love Marvel? So I am actually really stoked. I'm going to be, I think I'm going to be picking up the core set on this one. And uh, it looks really interesting. You everyone plays a hero, and um, uh, there's each each game you're playing against one particular villain, and uh, you're trying to kind of like beat the villain scenario uh, with your friends, and that's kind of what they had you doing in the Marvel Legendary card game. But Legendary still had this kind of like soft versus thing involving points and score, where you weren't entirely co-oping it. And one of my favorite you know, superhero co-op games of all time was uh, the the Sentinels of the Multiverse. I feel like this is yeah. sort of a Marvelized version of Sentinels. So I'm, I'm really hopeful on this one. I think it could be really awesome, and I'm super excited for it. Yeah, I might need to check that out as well, because, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely interesting. Yeah, it's nice. got strong art. It looks like they've got a good schedule of releases planned for it. Um, I feel like, you know, it could potentially have legs. And they've done so well. Like, some of their other LCGs have really, like, lasted. They've supported them for years and years. Like, Netrunner is sort of the big famous one, and I love how they went with that. Mm -hmm. So, honestly, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. 
Yeah, that's it's it actually sounds like something that um the there's a kind of a gaming store here um kind of where you can bring your your group and they they kind of host you all. So mm-hmm. it's just a place to meet, but it sounds like, you know, they have events and stuff like that and once that comes out that sounds like something they would do. Um so yeah, I might have to jump on board with that. Absolutely. And, uh, and try that out. Yeah, a, a lot of stores have like, you know, demo games set up or like like free, you know, mm-hmm. open games that you can play. Um, that would be a great way to get into it without having to pony up the $50, you know, game price or 60 or whatever it costs. So yeah, exactly. you could try it and see if you like it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, is that all for you, Steve, this week? That's what I got. Mark. Actually, yours kind of ties into that a little bit. Should Do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go. I'll go next. Uh, yeah. Don't don't let me skip over you and just continue on like we <laughs> normally do That's after after I after I do my wish of the week. Uh, but <laughs> um, my wish of the week this week is also a card game, but this one is a, a deck building card game. It's called Moonrakers, and it seems to be like a, a futuristic, very sci-fi heavy, um, you know. Uh, deck building card game where you uh you know you you get the things you need the the different resources you need uh to uh to accomplish different tasks there's not a whole lot out there about it yet because um it is uh releasing to kickstarter on the third on september 3rd that's this upcoming tuesday after labor day but um but yeah it looks really exciting uh they have like a, a good you know uh 140 second trailer uh, out there just kind of before the Kickstarter launches. But I'm definitely going to be backing this on Kickstarter. Um, and no, it doesn't seem like it would be a, an expensive price point. No Roger um, Moore in bad zero G special effects for this uh, Moonrakers? It, it doesn't seem like it. It's a, it's a very colorful, very. Um, it, it seems like the, the cards have a lot of detail, at least, you know, in the, the art that they have in these, these preview sets. Uh, it looks like they come with custom dice as well, um, which I'm al- always up for. But um, if there's no jaws, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, nice. Uh, but yeah, it it releases on on the third, and maybe after that Kickstarter launches, we'll have a little bit more information on it. Um, it does look like yeah. a lot of fun. It looks it's got a cool style to it, fun components. It, it looks like yeah, it's a really it, cool one. It's also a game where you you gain resources to to build your ship up in order to do different things. So like you have a spaceship, uh, and you gain components for those spaceships um, in order to I would assume uh, succeed better. Yeah, yeah like yeah. here's one. It says allies start with an extra action. So yeah, it gives you different buffs and and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely interesting. It looks like a winner. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. Mark. Okay. Um, Wish of the week. I am actually uh, talk, talking a little bit about the the Star Wars hotel that uh, they've been talking about for a while um, here in Orlando, and they announced some more details about it at uh, what's it called D twenty three, and tying it into to, into our role playing topic. This this sounds kind of perfect. Um, they. Yeah, they had said that it was going to be you know a Star Wars theme, and very heavily, uh, very heavily Star Wars themed. But now what they've revealed is it's actually called Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, <laughs> and Ooh. 
it's it, I think the term hotel is misleading. It sounds more like a a forty eight hour uh, LARPing experience. Oh my god! You have to commit. To, you have to commit to two days. Um, okay. It's it, and it's it is expensive. I think uh, you're talking thousands of dollars, and people are flipping out. That's expensive for a hotel. It is expensive for a hotel, but for a cruise, a, to yeah, you know, it's a, like a, a luxury land cruise. cruise. <laughs> well, wait, is it a land cruise or is it a water thing? It doesn't move technically, oh, okay, okay. but it's themed that you're on a spaceship. Yeah. So, and space cruise. <laughs> so the theme is you get on board, and every every room has quote unquote porthole looking out into the stars as you're blasting off into space. You oh do God. have a uh, That's you, great. one day you have a, a shore excursion to the planet Batu, um, and then you get back <laughs> and they say you you may encounter a run in with uh, the first order. In other okay. words, you will oh. run into a an encounter with a <laughs> yeah, exactly. first order. Absolutely guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it, it basically, it sounds like a, a massive LARPing experience um, <clears throat> that uh, sounds kind of, kind of neat. Well, they're yeah. really, I love where they're going with this because, like, I mean, mm-hmm. that really ties in. You could have an entire, you know, high-end Star Wars-themed Orlando vacation that way, yeah, right? Exactly. Like you go, you do the the cruise thing. Maybe you come to the mm-hmm. parks. You do the Galaxy S. Who knows? Maybe you're here for a convention. You know that way too, and and you can oh. break out the costumes <laughs> while you're at it. Like, yeah. How cool great. is that? You think you're going to be able to book this thing anywhere near MegaCon? Yeah. <laughs> well, knowing Disney prices, I don't think I'd be able to book it with my income. But <laughs> right, right, yeah. and and that is, but that has been a uh, a complaint. Is it, it's going to be very exclusive. It's going to be expensive. Well, um, t- once the, once the galactic cruise ship starts having like a, a steerage section, I'll probably be on board. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, if they'll let me, if they'll let me. Uh... You know, tag along in the cargo hold. I'll yeah, be yeah. Maybe I can, <laughs> I'd be happy. Maybe I can work my way through serving blue milk to people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But oh, uh, but no, you know, I, I assume that they're going to be providing all the meals and, um, so you know, it it sounds like it's going to be treated just like a cruise. It's you know, obviously, like I say, it's going to be stationary, but the theming is that you're going off into space and doing a. This amazing mm-hmm. cruise and having us, and these uh, excursions and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. But uh, so yeah, sounds neat. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would assume, and I would also hope that they do like group packages. Um, probably, I'm assuming it's also be... not going to be very big. Um, yeah, yeah, probably, it's probably select few. Yeah, uh, you know, so it's probably not going to be you know. It's, the price is going to make it very exclusive, I'm sure. But yeah, but yeah. it's it's still early too. It's plenty of time to, to keep your eyes on it and uh, mm-hmm. see where it goes. But uh, talk about the the ultimate role playing experience. Holy oh my gosh, yeah. And I'm sure this is also years out too. At this point, I mean, I know they tend to put these things together, you know, in a shorter time scale than you'd expect. But I'd be amazed if they're they've got guests in less than two years. I would think, yeah, I mm-hmm. don't know that they've announced an actual date yet, but uh, mm-hmm. right. it's uh, it's definitely heading that way. But it is exciting, right? That's so that cool. is, oh, yeah. That's very exciting. Yes. Oh, love it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to more from that, definitely. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be it for this segment of Wish of the Week. Wish of the Week. 
And now we're on to our segment, RPG Reflection. In RPG Reflection, we talk about our last game session. In this case, it was Mark and I playing the 007 role-playing game, or classified, whatever you want to <laughs> decide we played. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mark, uh, just go ahead and start us off. Uh, well, I uh, basically pulled out my old uh, James Bond game, something I'd run a lot uh, way back in the day, and took advantage in, of the fact that it was just two of us and uh, played kind of a one-on-one -on -one game uh, with Zach. Uh, so real question, Zach, how did it feel to you? I loved it. I really did. It, it, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun role-playing game because you get to play a spy. <laughs> um, mo most people love 007, love James Bond, so... Uh, uh, it's it's not difficult to kind of get into that mindset and um, and really get invested in the story. True. Um, so I will I will chalk about half of that up to uh, to the, to the genre itself, <laughs> and and the other half goes to uh, goes to you for for this amazing story. Oh, good. Uh, definitely. I, I liked when we played offline before. That was a kind of a good episode zero to mm -hmm. get me into the swing of things. Um, we, we recapped that briefly in, um, in our first episode, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, you, did you write this or was this a module? No, this, uh, this was me. I wrote with? it. I wrote this it. You. Yep. Beautiful. Yeah. And with you, you being the espionage spy guy, <laughs> um, go, go buy steam spy from Mark <laughs> if you want to get Steam <laughs> No, um, but yeah, it's just, you, you write very well for, um, for this genre, and and Ooh. I enjoy it every time. Uh, so how did how did it feel in terms of complication? How did it feel? Complication um, on the surface, it's very crunchy. Let's be real. Um, it's a it's a very charts oriented um, game game system. True. Well, it was um, uh, you know it's, it's God. When was it about eighty? Eighty. Let's see. Uh, before they had uh, dates in the book. Um, <laughs> before copyrights. Uh, before copyrights. <laughs> God, it doesn't have a date on it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was got to be 80, 79, 80, somewhere around there. Yeah, let's see. I'm doing a quick... Um, 83, here see. it is. Yeah, 83. I just... Yeah. Is it the Victory Games? Victory Games, exactly right. Victor yes. Yeah, so it's 83. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very crunchy game because it's it's a lot of looking at charts and determining um, determining difficulty values and 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 all that. But um, but ultimately, it's it's mostly just two charts. Yeah, and and one is just a multiplication table. If you if you yes, are really good at math, you don't even need that one. <laughs> well, I'm not. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly. But um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. Um. It didn't take too long to get the hang of it. Nice. Um, even even though it was kind of crunchy. Okay. Um, but I liked it. How is how is running it? What's what's your end like? Um, it, you know, it's pretty smooth. I mean, really, the the difficulty is figuring out what the uh, <laughs> what the dif difficulty factor is. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and and that's you know just a judgment of you know how how hard is it. It's a little bit. Uh, I think it's a little bit weird. In that the uh, the ease factor or difficulty factor is kind of reverse, 
so that the the smaller the number, the harder it is. Right. So exactly. if you have something of a difficulty 10, that's a piece of cake. Difficulty one mm-hmm. is extremely difficult. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit uh, backwards. But backwards when you, thinking. Yeah. But when you think of that, that that difficulty factor is a multiplier and that's going to multiply your, your success chance. Yeah. And your, your role value essentially. Right. right exactly. So, uh, you know, multiplying by one is going to be less than multiplying it by 10 by 10 exactly mm-hmm. yeah and it's there there are a lot of games out there that are kind of backwards thinking like that so i yeah. mean with us being a little bit more seasoned gamers um that's that's not too outlandish but no you know for for people who are used to playing one system or two systems uh it's kind of kind of hard to get a grasp of that yes. i can imagine but the, but the uh dice rolls kind of filter this too um mm-hmm. uh or, or actually kind of reverse it because when you're rolling your percentile die, smaller is better. Yeah. So when you're used to wanting to roll a 20 to get, yeah, you know, exactly the, the ultimate success. Yeah. So, but, um, but how about, yeah. sto- how about story wise? Was it, uh, two was, how was following the, uh, the story? Uh, it was, it was fairly easy to follow. I mean, that last episode, I, I kind of had a hard time finding where I wanted to go. Yeah. Um, but that's that has nothing to do with the game. That has everything to do with me. <laughs> so, true. True. Um, but yeah, I mean, spy stories are are fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, especially James Bond spy stories. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's overall a good game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of fun, and I I really like I said before, I really want to see. Uh, how Steve and I interact in this as true, uh, true. as lower level agents. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and another thing too was you know to kind of point out is you kind of handicapped yourself in that uh, you didn't try to take advantage of the seduction rules, which are yeah that's fair. The core you know I mean the core of any James Bond story is uh, you know you find the girl with the the suggestive name and get the information <laughs> from her that way. Um, which you, you know, didn't didn't pursue that route, which which made it a little harder to to drive the the um, the boat. Drive well, drive the uh, <laughs> drive the interrogation, or to you know drive the the character reaction. Um, yeah, that's to fair. be a little bit that more um, cooperative. And I'm sure I'm sure the story would have would have flowed better or gone faster if I would have done that. Uh, that was just the lack of me thinking of it. <laughs> fair, that's fair. <laughs> to be honest, yeah. Um, because uh, because that's another part of this is you're not as much the James Bond aficionado as I am, right? Uh, correct. I mean you've you've seen a oh, few correct. movies, I've, but not. I've seen um, probably a third of the movies. Oh, okay. To be fair, I right. saw Casino Royale. Nice, good one. Uh, did I see Spectre? I think I saw Spectre. Okay. Um, but I've seen a few of the older ones. Okay. As well. Um, but but again, you've you've had much more experience <laughs> with with James Bond than I have. Um, but yeah, absolutely. It, I, I I loved it, and uh, I definitely want to play it again. Okay. Because that's, that's I, a good sign. I got the yeah I got the hang of it, and uh, and kind of that's all that matters. <laughs> nice. Nice. Definitely, but thank you for running it. It was oh. it was a, it was a lot of fun. It's it, like I say, this is one of the games 
that uh, I started role-playing with. So for me, this is a real treat to kind of go back to and get back to my roots with. Yeah, and, and seeing how other people experience it as well. Absolutely. As Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could only... I, I, could only imagine what it's like to <laughs> to see the people going through the, the story that you've written uh, in in this genre because I I don't I haven't really run this genre before. True. Um. So yeah, it would be something. It's it's a bucket list item, I guess. Awesome. Yes. Definitely. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. It, it's been a pleasure, and I think that'll be it for this segment of RPG Reflection. Now we're on to some more topics here. Um, uh, first one I kind of want to talk about. Uh, it, it kind of fits in with us um, <laughs> a little bit more specifically. Uh, what what attracts you to niche RPGs? Um, so there are there are definitely definitely niche RPGs that we enjoy. Uh, <laughs> one one in particular. Um, uh, but let's, we're let's see what the uh, <laughs> yeah we're talking about something. Uh, well, I'd say says, just about everything we do is kind of niche compared to you know yeah D and D. Yeah, that's right. True. And, and yeah, um, the question here. Yeah, go ahead and read the question. Yeah, it says uh, there's perhaps a tri poly uh, currently in the RPG world D and D versus Pathfinder versus World of Darkness, but a lot of us also play lesser known settings. I, for instance, play Sprawl, which I have never heard of. Very niche no. RPG. <laughs> uh, what attracted you to those niche settings in the first place? So let's let's kind of talk about our experience with 7C here. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I would question, is 7C niche enough? Um, you know, there are a lot of... It's... I, kind of a, a second tier of niche, yeah you know that i, I would call. i would go with that like it's one of the if you're gonna call it a niche it's definitely one of the more successful niches out there i mean like yeah. it's not mm-hmm. exactly unknown but there's still plenty of people like if there's there's plenty of people who play D who've never heard of it so sure you know but right but there's also stuff like uh, that's not listed here that's like um, the Modifius stuff you know the star trek adventures it's, it's pretty popular it's yeah. not D popular but I don't know if it'd, it'd be as niche, yeah. As uh, as the it was not as niche as Sprawl, for example. Like yeah, Shadowrun. Everyone knows yeah. Shadowrun, but it's not exactly you know like Pathfinder big or whatever. So exactly, yeah. Right. It's it's not on everybody's radar. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. But honestly, like, well, I think that's kind of where the niche stuff is interesting because, like, the main stuff is more or less like high fantasy, right? I mean, we're talking about D and D and Pathfinder. I think in this this thing here, he mentions like World of Darkness, but even that I mm-hmm. think is probably a little bit more. It's like, it's kind of modern fantasy. Yeah, really. that's that's yeah. kind of back on that Shadowrun tier, I think. So, but like, mm-hmm. basically, if you're looking at sort of like the the big RPG stuff, that's all you know, sword and sandals fantasy stuff. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it's fun to do other stuff. You know, check around the, diff- the different kind of stories you can tell. And mm-hmm. you're not going to get that unless you go at least kind of niche-ish off the right. beaten path. Yeah, I think that's going to be the answer for a lot of people is, uh, you know, I, I wanted to try something else. I maybe found this as a suggestion online or whatever. Saw yeah. it in, you know, saw it in my local game store, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. 
I picked it up and I loved it, and I can't I can't put it down. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of uh, you know that's that's going to be kind of across the board for for most kind of most niche games that people are just trying or or uh, you know have tried and, and stuck onto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, Mark, what about what about your experience with Seven C specifically? Because you're you were the 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 one to first experience it. Yes, in the in the, uh, in the three of us here. I I remember finding it and trying to. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with with any kind of lesser known game is trying to introduce it to your party, to your mm, game yes. group. And that's <laughs> that's the experience I had was I found this and and loved it and we're trying to get everybody on board who were just just wanted to play D anD D. And mm-hmm. you know, trying to to push push others into that kind of open mindedness uh, is is one of the bigger challenges of this sort of thing. Right. That was that was my exact experience. That's sure. how we met. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's true. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about that. But um, well, I think and I think sometimes that can be a little bit of an obstacle, right? Like like mm-hmm. if people people are even if you haven't played D anD D before, you more or less know if somebody says, "Yeah, it's Lord of the Rings ish." Like they're gonna know what to expect, but right. on something like uh, right, Torg, yeah. you know, or something like that, it's it, it it's kind of conceptual. The, the whole thing pivots mm-hmm. around this sort of wacky idea, and it's if if you're into it, if you buy it, it's great. But trying to get people that have never heard of it before on board, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of a sell. Sure. And you know, there's always the advantage to that if you're going with. Uh, Games that are based on a franchise, like like Star Trek or um, mm-hmm. yeah, everyone like knows that. Star Wars. Yeah, you're exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Lowers that barrier of entry. Right. Right, and um, these these niche settings are are you know coined the term niche for a reason because sure. you know because they're not like all of the the more popular things. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Go ahead. Go. I, I was just going to say, I think I think that can be a, a drawing point as well, in that you know if you find something, um, yeah, even even lesser known. Um, I think I talked yeah last time about uh, Spirit of seventy seven, for example. Mm-hmm. That's that's probably even further down the <laughs> list of uh, you know popularity. But that's something that you can take and really feel like this is this is ours because it's it's not something we're sharing with the entire world. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think that's kind of a, uh, a nerd kind of uh, mentality anyway, is that finding something that's, that's exclusive and, and not mainstream. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think appeals to a lot of us. And if we can do that and make it our own even more so that that's going to be a drawing point. Yeah, I agree completely, and and um, kind of like we've talked recently, uh, kind of about the the flow of creativity in in uh, you know tabletop gaming. Hmm. Uh, it, the, that that niche is going to change from time to time here. Um, well, I mean, other than you know D and D and Pathfinder, those those will always be on the map. True, um, but maybe something you know a, a few years from now, something that was considered niche is is now. You know, in the fore- <laughs> foreground, and and uh, you know, becomes the part of the norm. True. Yeah. Well, and and uh, uh, 
part of the issue too is like the more niche things, the ones that are like deliberately kind of not deliberately more obscure, but but obviously kind of more designed for one-offs. You know, it, it tends to be sort of under the radar, but uh, you know that's sort of the trade-off. Is a lot of times they they kind of sacrifice world building for for uh, accessibility. You know, it's it's um which which makes them kind of good for one or two sessions, but you know you can sample it, but you don't necessarily know if you want to design a whole campaign around it. Right, and and sometimes, like like you said, those niche games are are more or less focused towards a uh, you know single single session gaming or you know small series gaming. Yeah, yeah. Um, just because it's a smaller game, just kind of like uh, you know, take for example, damn the man, save the music. Right. Uh, that's mm-hmm. that's a kind of game where the story plays out in one session. Mm-hmm. Um, and. You're probably that not gonna kind have of, a running campaign on that one, yeah. Ig- exactly, True. exactly, and and that I think uh, that aspect of it kind of keeps it forever in that niche category, um, just because people can't, you know, they can, they can't play it every session, every they can't build a camp a campaign around it, right? Um, but yeah, it's really interesting to to uh, to talk about the difference between. Those uh, those mainstay games and the uh, and the niche games. Yes. Uh, t- still talking about niche games here. We're going to talk about Seven C Sam. I've got a topic here from the Seven uh, C subreddit, uh, and it is titled "The Bag of Explosives." I think Steve will enjoy this because this kind of sounds like Mateo. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, The the topic says, uh, I'm using this for a crazy old demolitionist PC I thought I might share. Uh, It's a bag of terribly organized explosives. You need to organize this, but for now, let's just throw whatever. Spend a raise and roll a d6. Use the corresponding chart to see what you throw. One, a small explosion that deals about two wounds and doesn't cause fires. Two, a medium explosion dealing three wounds uh, and lighting a small spark of flames, uh, nothing that can catch fire. Three, uh, a large explosive that deals one dramatic wound and starts a medium fire. Four, an oil flask that spreads a a 10 by 10 foot pool that makes a large fire if it comes in contact with another flame. Five, essentially a carpet bomb, (laughs) a small barrel uh, releases a group of bombs uh, in every direction. Six was was that beer? That's totally beer. <laughs> Why was there beer in your bag? <laughs> All it does is one wound. Pathetic. <laughs> My gosh, that's that's awesome. that's really cool. I'd like to think that Mateo's a little more organized than that, but <laughs> <laughs> Mateo has his moments. <laughs> On, on a practical level, this would be very difficult to play on ship-to-ship combat, because I think they had that thing that said, if you use fire in ship-to-ship combat, you're immediately, you, you pick up basically dark side points <laughs> yeah. from the get-go. It's like, it's, yeah, so, like, tie up the crazy demolitionist when you, like, go overseas. Yeah, or at least take his bag from him. Yeah, true. yeah, that's true. Bag of explosives. That's cute. I like the idea, though. It sounds actually really fun. So, like, a mechanic for that for something, either, like, some sort of, like, uh, a sci-fi-oriented thing, 
or um, you know, a D and D thing. You know, you've got like a bag of holding of random bombs. Or well, sci-fi would be great. Yeah. You have this weird alien artifact gun, and you every time you pull the trigger, you don't know what it's going to do. That's like a story in yeah. itself. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. One time we like blew up a ship, and one time like it it shot confetti everywhere. You you don't know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's kind of like the uh, the gun from the Fifth Element. <laughs> which okay. trigger? Which trigger does what? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, that's cool. I I love seeing w- when people introduce um, kind of their own items into into their you know their custom campaigns. But I think, I think it's problem, something that's underutilized. The problem with that, though, for for this, I think there's a lot of systems where this would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, paranoia is is built for this kind of thing. Oh my god! Right. But um, but seven C is very character driven. You don't have equipment that does stuff. You it, the the success is based on the characters' actions and what the characters can and can't do. And this right. seems to be taking that away from the character, and now it's about what can this bag do. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know that it's the right fit for Seven C, but there are so many games where this kind of thing would be fantastic. Right. I think, I think you might be right on that one. Yeah. Like. Well, like but yeah. Go ahead. How how does um, Mateo's alchemy work? Like, is that uh, is that kind of item based? You throw an item, it does something. Mateo's alchemy works well. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> it's actually there's there's two different alchemy systems, and he's using both of them. <laughs> there's there's one where alchemy is like a, a trait, and you can use it to do um, to like have like one or two effects. And there's one where it's a sorcery, and you can take like levels of this sort of alchemy sorcery in these different schools to sort mm-hmm. of do different areas. And I ended up like I, I bought both of those systems to kind of like work everything sort of through the common core of alchemy, um, which gives them a lot of flexibility. So much so, in fact, that I've actually kind of tried to dumb it back a little bit. Like, <laughs> I, I've really, <laughs> I really try with Mateo not to like abuse the rules on on alchemy because I feel like it it could if, like, left to perversion, <laughs> like, really mm-hmm. imbalance and mess up <laughs> stories and stuff like that. So, like, you know, usually it's sort of, like, one-off. We kind of know he's got sort of these sort of staple tricks that I, I use from time to time, the fireworks and and maybe, like, the slippery juice. Um, and, and I try to not go too far, too crazy beyond that um, because, you know, I, I just I don't want to, like, let it take over the story. Um, at the same time, I, I feel like, you know, in our coming up season, it might become more of a thing. So we might need yeah. to work on expanding that out a little bit. But it's got flexibility. And, and it, it, yeah, I think in general, if you wanted to take make an alchemy-themed person, it's going to work kind of like any other, um, uh, like the sorceries do. The uh, animas? Not the animas, but the, I forget. I don't uh, know the character sheet. Yeah. Me, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting taking this concept with 7C, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like like Mark said, something like D&D, something more highly fantasy some, or, or something, something more equipment focused. kind of rule set. Yeah. 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 Um, sci-fi, there's, you know, a ton of options for this sort of thing. Yes. I, I'm, oh, the absolutely. more I think about it, the more I love the idea of the alien gun that shoots random. Yes. So. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I'm, writing the, I'm writing that idea down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, this next one um, Mark kind of brought to my attention when we were looking for topics here. Um, 
making a final boss a player character. <laughs> hmm. And uh, and I think I think Mark has a little bit of experience with this, so uh, I'm gonna yeah. let him, I'm gonna let him kick this one off. Well, I was gonna say the three of us do uh, to some degree. Uh, uh, this is uh, this was kind of for Starfinder, but basically uh, the the question is. Uh, what has been your experience using character creation to make boss characters and what level would you say to be fair to be, to put up against fourth or fifth levels? But uh, it, it's really kind of asking about um, using, using uh, the same kind of character creation for, for creating villains as for um, heroes, mm-hmm. which yeah, I think a lot of games do. But taking it a little bit more directly, um, have have you ever placed an actual player in the role of your your bad guy? Um, which we kind of did in that Seven C uh, episode where that pitted uh, Ryan against Mateo. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I think that can work out really well. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's, I, I had a campaign one time where one of the players was a traitor and it ended up being a big boss fight at the end there too. So I, it's got a cool kind of dramatic element to it that I think really pulls people in. Like, you know, everyone, everyone sits down, they're eating their pizza and everyone's on the same page. And like, when it comes out that like, whoa, somebody here wasn't <laughs> playing from the same book. It's yeah. a really cool tool. However, it can totally be overused. So on a game, like, you know, if it happens every session, unless you're playing Paranoia, um, <laughs> people are going to figure out that, like, oh, okay, Bob just rolled up a new character, so he's a spy. Uh, <laughs> you know, you just have to be careful, you know. Don't overuse point. anything. Too much of a good thing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think we've kind of talked about that whole, you know, quote-unquote betrayal um, aspect of, you know, your party. So having one of your... your PCs being more or less evil. Mm-hmm. Um, True. But yeah, it's 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 definitely a thing that you need to take carefully because if if you use it too much, it'll you know everybody everybody in the party will always think that kind of like paranoia, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. think that every that somebody's out to get them, uh, regardless of what they do. Mm-hmm. Right. And unless but, that um, is the the thing that you're going for. Then, uh, right. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to do it. Definitely. Well, like and, maybe maybe in a Cthulhu style game, throwing that in regularly hmm. might not be a bad idea because it's Cthulhu and there's always, you know, people being, you know, um, what's the word? Evil. <laughs> possessed. Possessed. Okay, yeah. I was yeah. Say, if you, if you're playing something where people are possessed or. Uh, body shift, body sh- shape, body shifters type thing. Shapeshifters. Uh, shapeshifters, yeah, yeah. thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, those ki- types of things uh, that can help out a lot, you know, getting getting mm-hmm. uh, a fellow player to uh, to play it. But I love, right. the, I love the idea of using, like, like, regular character rules for villains 
um, mm-hmm. in general, especially like main villains, because players do weird stuff. And <laughs> if you're treating them like monsters and you've got sort of abstract, simplified monster rules, you know, well, you know, they just tripped him. Like, what's your monster's dex? He doesn't have dex. He's a monster. No, it's it, it's a little bit more immersive and intuitive. It gives you more flexibility in storytelling and, and kind of quick rules adaptations if you're treating him like a regular player with regular player rules rather than like a monster yeah. type. Well, the other advantage you have there is uh, who says you have to kill the bad guy? What if you um, convert the bad guy into a good guy? If you use the same format for for creation, you instantly have have an ally. Maybe someone even wants to pick that up and use it as a PC moving forward. Ah, um, the old Dragon you know, Ball Z model. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, that's fair. Mm-hmm. No, that'd be cool. I don't but think yeah. I've ever actually done that, but I love the uh, the concept of that. I think that could work out really well. Sure. I think so, definitely. Definitely. It would be more a thing of, like, if you really liked the villain and didn't want to just kill him off at the end of the campaign, like, that would be a great way to have him stick around. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, this this next topic uh, is is also a little bit about kind of game prep, more or less. Um, how should I prepare factions and guilds? Um, and you know, going into the the, the rest of the you know topic comment, uh, it it pretty much says. He has his his world, and he has um, two main factions, um, and and pretty much how much should he prepare, or should he prepare anything at all? Um, I thought this was an interesting one, just because uh, it, it does more or less go around world building and uh, you know preparing your game from the writing side of things. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think factions is a part of world building. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're world building, then that is part of what, what you do. I mean, again, 7C is a perfect example. That All of the, the world building in that are factions. There's the nations, there's the secret societies, there's even the different uh, nobilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, different characters each have their own faction yeah um, yeah the, the whole world is factions uh and so you know game of thrones is kind of the same thing it, it's all about <laughs> yeah. the factions yeah exactly and, and and on top of that it's it's layers and layers of factions many times yes it's, you know you've yes. got your your lord and you've got your like local like occupational guild and maybe you've got your secret society and how do they interact sometimes they right. conflict like that's what makes drama you know that's that's a sure. good way to kind of uh, introduce uh, conflict mm-hmm. in stories without necessarily having to, you know, make everything external. Yeah, even if you're into something like, like Star Trek, for example, you know, you're you have you have your factions, you have Starfleet and you have Klingons. Maybe, but everyone's probably going to be, you know, Star, Starfleet, for example. But even with that, then you have the different departments, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in in different disciplines. Again, the world is built around what those factions and guilds are. Yeah. Yeah, even even though, you know, the term faction or guild sounds like it could it could be, you know, a smaller 
you know, group of people. It's still what your core world is built around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and history too. The the history of your of this world. Yeah. What's happened before this campaign started? Well, that that kind of all depends on what these faction and the guilds are, what they do, uh, if if any are opposing each other, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, wars like in like in Seventh Sea, the War of the Cross, mm-hmm. um, has to go back to factions. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were there were two sides that um, that opposed each other. Right. That's how war happens, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, but I think a lot of this, the drive for this question comes from traditional D&D, where you have an adventuring party who's independent and just going off to find glory and treasure for themselves. Um, yeah. But one of, the, one of the key things here is uh, they're also asking, uh, in, within the question here, it says, I barely know the difference, to be honest. What should I worry about when it comes to a faction or a guild? So, what would be the difference between a faction and a guild? Like, on a literal basis, I think... Well, <laughs> guilds are faction, but not all factions are guilds. How about that? Yeah, um, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, like, guilds specifically generally involve a vocation. Um, you know, whether it's a, an occupation, you know, like a carpenter's or something like that, or sort of a, a more generalized... Um, you know, like, non-paying occupation, like, you know, rangers yeah. or, or some form of do-gooder, you know, <laughs> the, the helper's guild or whatever, I don't know. But, I mean, for, <laughs> but factions can be anything. Factions can be political, they can be family, they can be geographic, they can be, you know, any other kind of subdivision of people where you can have an us and a them, that's a faction. Mm-hmm. Also, kind of talking about a, a previous topic, um, <laughs> World of Darkness, mm. like Vampire the Masquerade, factions, okay. factions, yeah. factions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, think... so most most things uh, that have to do with like adventure stories or a plot or whatever is kind of run by factions mm-hmm. or, or you know or guilds, you know. Yeah, and I'm a strong believer in, in factions specifically for mm-hmm. for role playing. Because yeah. it helps give your characters um, motivations. Uh, it's so much easier yeah. to write for a character who you know has some sort of affiliation uh, and some sort of agenda with that affiliation than it is. Or, yeah, or or it it um, it allows your your character to achieve different things that other factions or guilds don't allow. So, like, I'm I'm kind of giving the uh, the comparison to Skyrim, the mm. video game. Okay, you know you've got the the Mages Guild, you've got the you know all the all these different ones, but they're all kind of focused around something. Yeah, and so like if you're a mage, you don't want to go and become a thief because that won't give you the things that you need to progress. Right. As a as a mage, so it's it, you know it's kind of. Kind of like these secret societies as well in in Seventh Sea, you know they they aim to, you know they to to grow their faction or their guild, and to improve these people that are joining them, um, just so they can you know help better their cause and, and you know have have more strength in numbers. Okay, true. But it, you know it just kind of you know one thing builds on on the next on the next on the next, um, you know and. and 
I think that that kind of more or less improves the world overall. I agree completely. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But yeah, I actually didn't know that about the difference between factions and guilds. So uh, <laughs> oh. thank you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think you know maybe the bottom line is I think factions have more of a, an agenda than a guild. You know, guild is just a collection of, of like-minded people sharing resources, whereas a faction is, is somebody with a bit more more of a drive. Does that make sense? Yeah, the, the term faction generally indicates that there's some sort of adversarial faction. Um, hmm. So, like, like, like you factions vying for something is is like you can't have you can't have one faction without having another faction that's somehow. Not either in opposition, but but is somehow also related in that sphere of influence. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, another topic here um, that Mark also brought to my attention: um, jamming via voice. Um, mm. Mark Mark had quite an interest in this, so I'll let him kick this one off. Yeah, this was this was another another Reddit topic that popped up. And it was All interesting. of these are Reddit topics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it was interesting because it kind of came from a, the complete opposite of what we're used to. Um, yeah. But it's somebody who had been, uh, they said they've been GMing for a little under a decade now, uh, a variety of settings and systems. But uh, it's always been through text. Um, and uh, now they're, they're getting... Uh, uh, getting used to doing a more uh, an actual live uh, at, I don't know if it's uh, at the table or even just uh, maybe online. online, but but doing it with voice rather than just text, um, and uh, they're looking for adv- advice on how to make that transition, um, which I think is kind of interesting because I I, I think most of us have started with yeah started live. with. Live, live action yeah face to face you know like in person game mm-hmm. yeah yeah it does kind of weird to kind of think of that going the other direction with that like going from like a text environment which i guess is like your like like the play in posts or yeah i don't know like what other yeah. formats support like written rpging uh For, forum topics you yeah. know if if it if it was you know years ago when they didn't have you know as many or any you know, oh, play by post yeah. sites. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all kind of forum based. RP yeah. forums. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wow. That throws me back. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. You're surprised I know about that, don't you? <laughs> I am a little. <laughs> How old do you say you were? <laughs> 42. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Wow. No, that that is true actually. And I could see how if you were used to that kind of thing, like maybe getting the the actual spoken word part might be an issue. Um maybe? Hmm. I wonder if like social anxiety might be a problem. Maybe it's it's like it's I, I gotta say, it's as like when you're GM when you when you're actually writing something out longhand, it is a different skill set because you can take mm. time. You can like actually play with words, you can get your verbiage right, say exactly what you want to say every time. And when you're actually doing the, like, spoken, like, real-time RPGing, it's a little bit more spitball. There's plenty of times mm-hmm. where, like, oh, you know, I could have done that differently. Or, oh, my God, I totally botched that entrance or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just a little bit messier than the, the written thing. So if you're having problems with that conversion, I would say try not to worry about, like, perfection. Try not to worry mm-hmm. about little mistakes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because you can worry about little mistakes in, in written stuff. You've got the luxury of time, but, you know, it's it's just kind of like, get it out there and move on when it comes to tabletop RPGing. You don't want to, like, you know, yeah. overthink it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think one of the biggest uh, differences is pacing. When you're yeah. actually doing yeah. this... Part of the part of the thing is to keep it moving, keep the pacing. Get you get more of a feeling, in my opinion, you get more of a adrenaline rush when you're doing it live than when you're plotting it out through a, yeah. a text experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, posting or, or email or whatever you're going through. Um, and I would say, I would say that pacing is more important than you know missing some of the details. Well, you can also yeah. get so much done because of the pacing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. your hour and a half, mm-hmm. like, tabletop RPG session is probably going to, like, get you through two months worth of, like, post, play-by-post stuff. So... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Good point. And, and uh, you know, something that I know Mark has done, I've done it a couple times, uh, you know, for some scenes or, like, openings or whatever, we kind of write out a short monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for the scene just to kind of set it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with typing out, writing out whatever you want to say and saying it. Um, but I would just, I would suggest not doing it excessively to where it's like you're reading from a book. Right. Well, I think there are key points where you, you want to mm-hmm. do that. Um, you know, exposition, key exposition points. If you're introducing, if you have a character who's introducing a mission, uh, for example, that's a yeah. great opportunity to have a very specific, uh, laid out uh, speech, but you can't really rely on the on the uh, players to be asking the exact questions for what you have written out. So right, yeah, yeah. Those are cases where you, you probably spend less time details. Be aware of the overview. Be aware of of the direction you want to go, mm-hmm. and. You know, that's where the the improvisation is going to need to be the strongest. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to see this this transition to be kind of opposite from what most people do. It is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because because you know, like we started with you know face to face gaming. Mm-hmm. We've dabbled with play by post. I think Mark is currently in a play by post game. Yeah. Um. But yeah, you you don't. I I haven't heard of this before. You know, no. I haven't heard of going going backwards with it. It's, um, a, it's an interesting <clears throat> state on the yeah you know, the technology that's that's used for role playing these days, and that mm-hmm. you know the play by post was uh, has always been a uh, substitute for the for the quote unquote real thing. Mm-hmm. And this is right, the, the and it, it of, could it could be a situation where. This person is in a you know small town. There's no maybe maybe there's no gaming store. Maybe there's nothing. Mm. Absolutely uh, he hasn't hasn't gotten anything together and has has had to fall back on this for so long. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but you know, welcome yeah. to the internet. That's the cool thing about that is like exactly. You know, it's it's you can always find someone who's who's kind of in your niche in your faction. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, you know, nowadays with the internet. So I, I gotta say, if you've been GMing for years, like decades, he says, doing mm-hmm. just written stuff, 
I kind of want to see that. Like, that's got to be yeah, amazing by now. <laughs> True. <laughs> like, that's yeah, a good point. Exactly. His stuff has got to exactly. be solid. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, as you know, from from the the GM aspect of it, he there's probably no issues with that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like he's he he needs no no assistance with you know how to GM something. But I think it's just taking taking the prep prepping what you need for maybe the session, maybe the next couple sessions, mm-hmm. and then kind of going over your your outline or your bullet points or what, what have you um, over and over again until you're, you're pretty confident with the material enough to where you can remember it just by seeing a bullet point and know exactly what you want to portray to, to your players um you know with kind of without that delayed you know typing it out right and right and having yes. to wait for a response exactly right it's it's just kind of getting getting what you want out there in a shorter period of time more or less yes. you know instead of instead of you know taking your time to prepare exactly what you want to say true uh and i i do understand how that can be a uh, how that can be difficult definitely yeah, yeah. But good for him for trying new things, honestly. And, like, you know, the cool thing about it would be actually starting... Like, imagine if you've been playing whatever for decades, like, like all by post, and then you mm. sat down at a table, like, for the first time with dice and kind of experienced role-playing for the first time, but you were already super familiar with the roles. Like, it feels like sort of a second awakening on the whole thing. Like, yeah. that would actually be a really crazy experience. Yeah, good yeah. point. And, and honestly, in my opinion, it's kind of like a trial by fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you just kind of have to get out there, do, do a session, do a couple sessions, and find out what, what you need to adjust. You know, True. To, to, you know versus from, from text to, to in-person or voice or over video chat, whatever. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm um, sure, you know, when starting from the... Uh, play by post too you, there was a little bit of a learning curve so you probably want to leave, leave mm-hmm. yourself a little bit of that learning curve for for changing formats as well yeah, yeah definitely. Just, definitely just don't get as frustrated because right it's uh you know it's it's your first experience with it and you, you have you have to learn just like you know these people at the table had to learn originally when they learned you know how to role play how to exactly. top role play mm-hmm. yeah yeah <clears throat> All right. Uh, this this next topic we have here is something we've been planning on talking about for like <laughs> for like four episodes. True. Um, but Mark, Mark, take away, um, you know, the player skill and GM skill. Yes, this is this is something that actually came up on Facebook, and I'm sorry I don't have the link for it, but the question basically came down to how do you measure skill as a player or a GM? Um, and. Uh, you know, I think there there's can be some question about uh, you know what do you what are you doing with that evaluation, mm-hmm. but uh, <laughs> you know there is some some good good points, and I think there are different metrics matrices for different values to uh, <laughs> yeah different things that you can potato judge. potato uh-huh. yeah exactly, um, but uh, I. I what do you guys think? What uh, what are let's start with uh, well let's start with the GM since we're kind of starting 
we've been kind of talking about GM. Is is there things that would make a GM better or worse? Absolutely. <laughs> but I well, don't know. Steve doesn't want to step on any toes. <laughs> I don't know how important it is to quantify those things in like a stratified way. Like like I so, mean, yeah. Let's let's just take this hypothetically. Okay. And just run with it. Just just run, Steve. Well, and and you know, one of the things I was kind of thinking is We've all kind of pretty much familiar with with Matt Mercer being the quote unquote the GM right now. Everybody kind of at least the the D and D GM. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. he's kind of looked at as. I mean, he's got his own show for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there are obviously other people. You know, in there various are, other ranges along that. There, there are, are some professional people, game masters, right? They're like, exactly I, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this and, and in a, that case, like building a resume for a GM is very important, right? So this this would be a directly concrete, concrete like relevant for them. So yeah, Google reviews for for GMs, you know, are mm-hmm. going to be a, a thing going forward, I'm sure. So, you know, what kind of things would would be going into that? How would you, you know, how would you be rating them? Well, with with GM, it kind of it kind of goes back to what makes a good GM, mm-hmm. you know, our, kind of our, our topics we've talked in the past about sure. what makes a good GM. Um, immersion is, is one thing, how, how well they introduce these players into the story and keeping them in the story, you know, keeping them immersed. Mm-hmm. If they do a good job with that. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, kind of a, a fun, foundation of role playing. I would say that's a good, right. Exactly. Point. I think having a long-running campaign under your belt is probably sort of a badge of honor. Like, if you've had the same group of players playing the same story for five years, you're doing something right. Um, True. Yeah. You know, that that's definitely something that would tend to, like, you know, you could you could point at that and say, yeah, I'm not bad. Good point. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Mark? What, what, are, what are some of your points, main points? I think that's, yeah, that's definitely a good thing. I think... Uh, you know, there's that balance between the the immersiveness. I think kind of boils down to two parts. One is the the preparation and knowledge of the world, what's going to happen. The other is being flexible enough to uh, being able to to fly with any uh, uh, curveballs that are thrown your way by the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, you you gotta kind of go with both um you know you want to be you want to be the one who knows knows the world knows the rules better than anyone else at the table um, right mm-hmm. but you know you also need to to be open enough to uh to to be creative on the fly in addition to the preparation um yeah yeah that's a good point well no. i mean there are there are people too you know Especially, you know, going back to the the Matt Mercer example, you know, we're talking about voice actors who are professional at creating Voices. characters that are going to be distinct and yeah. um, help you uh, understand where and when you are. That uh, that you know, that's part of the the immersive immersive uh, nature of the job too. Immersive. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now, not to get too literal with this but what if 
you went rather literal with it. And and actually, in the sense of your players, gave them a player sheet as well as a character sheet. And doing well in sessions got them player XP that they could use to level up oh, as an RPG player, um, mm-hmm. independent of how their character mm. was doing. So if they, you know, facilitated other characters' enjoyment or actions or brought pizza or, you know, showed up regularly in perfect <laughs> yeah. attendance... Yeah. Or or just or, or or like did the whole thing like a lot of RPing did yeah, stayed in character the entire night stuff like that would get you like bonuses to your points and you could level up as a player and possible like perks you could get for having like a highly leveled player sheet would be you know you're the party leader or you're um you I don't have, have no to buy what. pizza for everybody <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. have to buy pizza every time you could you you've, could you you've could, brought pizza the last eight nights you, you could yeah. you, you can choose take, the next game that's gonna happen like you know like or if you wanted to jump settings or something you could say you could be the one that like picks the setting or something like that i'm, I'm kind of like outside the box on this one but it seems like it could well, be kind it, of fun <laughs> you know do, doing something like that could you know you could do character stories like dri- mm. you know, heavier driven character stories, and so that would give kind of the more or less competitive nature that most people have on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like that, that you also need to do well if some you know somebody else does well and they get their their character story a little bit you know pushed a little bit more. Mm-hmm. That'll give somebody else the incentive to to be better as a player and uh, <coughs> you know improve that in order to get a little bit more of their story out there. Not saying that's the only way that player stories can go out there, but, you know, you know a little you, bit more focus. I like I like the concept rewards. of this more I think about it, because, yeah, you're <laughs> right. Like, people are competitive. So if you give four people on the, the table a scoreboard and say, okay, we're all going to the dungeon together, everyone's got to do their thing, but some of you are First getting to a kill few 20 points, skeletons. some of you are getting a lot of points. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that might actually encourage people to stay off their cell phones and like really pay more attention if they <laughs> thought they stay, were like stay in the game. Yeah, if they thought they were yeah. going to be graded at the end of it, like you know, it's like oh my god, I'm only like three more points towards being able to pick my own background music. I'm totally <laughs> doing that. Oh, that's great. Well, well, there's a lot of games that do offer. Uh, mechanical incentives to to good role playing um mm-hmm. you know getting a, yeah, an extra hero point for hero for good, point etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah good role playing uh, yeah. is, you know perfect example and, um, and yeah that might be a way to kind of like reinforce it too is to like give out in game perks for her for like like well yeah a lot of people do you're right you're right mm-hmm. yeah um but you know i think a lot of people a lot of times people are a little intimidated by doing that, because it's it's kind of judgmental in a lot of cases. Yeah, um, yeah, it would it would definitely be a thing for a, a regular camp or regular gaming group. Maybe well, starting a new campaign, introducing this thing. You know. Whatever. Well, let's let's so, take that into what exactly do you you know how how would you then uh, measure the skill of a, a player or that thing? So you know, if you were judging it, mm-hmm. judging um, a player. Maybe working with the other players, like mm. in 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 RP, you know, he- heavier RP is always gonna make a, a better experience. So that that in turn would essentially judge a better player. Knowing how to RP in in the world in the in the game, et cetera, et cetera. True. Yes. So I somebody think, well, who asked asked questions in in character as opposed to out of character. And uh, tried to do that with the other players specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of, we talked about it 
before, uh, knowing your character class or skills or, mm-hmm. or spells or what, what have you. Um, so you're not having to look them up every session or asking the GM to look it up or, or whatever. True. Um, yeah. Or just I being... think that's a very, very important kind of, uh, you know, overlooked aspect of being a player. Is, I think, yeah, is, just being, you know, the being GM's helpful. not the only one that has to know the rules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or being, or being helpful in general, like facilitating group play and, and, you know, just generally kind of like making sure everyone, or helping everyone at the table to have fun. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe like, you know, spending some extra time with other players who aren't as familiar with the rules or, or somebody new to the group and, yeah. you know, going over mechanics or helping them with character creation before a session. Like, that's, you know, kind of stuff that's going to make a, you know, that it would be nice if there was some way to reward that. True. Right. Yeah, because overall this this is, you know, it's it's a party. It's a group of people. You yeah. Know, it's not just a party in the game. You're a party in real life. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, you know, every, everybody's got to feel included or helped or what have you. Your party right. needs to feel like a party. <laughs> exactly. True. <sighs> Yeah, your your gaming table needs to feel like the the in game party yes. that your your player characters are are in. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. But I think I think judging a good I don't know judging a good player is a little bit more abstract than judging a good GM because kind of being a good how to be a good GM is kind of more or less that unspoken rule. That is in all gaming. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's because it's those those outlines are kind of there. It's like you need to do this as a GM. This is your job as a GM, and kind yeah. of as long as you do that job, you're more or less a, a good or a, a decent GM. Yeah, well, I think, but it, I, the, the same ultimate thing goal doesn't is apply to players as well. Not as much. But I, I think the ultimate goal is always. Did you have fun? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of that usually does fall on the GM. I would say the players do have some contribution to that as well. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, right. I would agree that the majority of that that responsibility goes to the GM. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. Yeah, the GM, uh, he's the boss, right? I think that's what it boils down to is he's the one in charge. Yeah. Pretty much, more or less. True. Uh, I've got uh, two, one or two more topics here. Um, this one, Steve might uh, might have some some ideas for, um, but let's get into this one. Uh, what quote unquote rules do you have for buying board games? Hmm. Which is because because board games can be expensive; they can be pricey. Um, and some of them can just kind of not be great for the price that you pay. <laughs> well, <laughs> Let's I certainly be honest, have, we've all seen those games. I certainly have a lot of experience buying inappropriate board games. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's actually yeah, and I'm probably not even the right person to ask because I've got dozens of board games, many of which I will never play. Um, so yeah, I'm not nearly as judicious, judicious as I should be in this uh, these decisions, but. Um, I'll tell you what, you know what a good first stop is, is BoardGameGeek.com, um, mm. which is more or less like, uh, IMDB for board games, okay, uh, right. or Metacritic. 
Like, the reviews are usually rock solid. They really vet the heck out of stuff. And the people that are seriously into the hobby, um, you know, go there to post and, and, and exchange information about what's good and what's not. And they're ruthless, too. So, like, I mean, like, a lot of stuff that's, like, generally considered to be, like, well-received, you know, yeah, it's decent, is still tracking at, like, a 75 or an 80 there. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, they don't pull any punches. So, um, but it's a great way to, like, kind of figure out kind of what's good and what's not. Um, also, anytime you can play it first before you buy it, whether it's with a different group of people or by, you know, if your yeah. game store has demo copies, that sort of thing, um, that's definitely the preferred way to, to figure out if it's going to be a great big waste of money or not. Um, but, yeah, I mean, oh, sometimes, you know, you just got to roll the dice and take your chances, too. So, you know, grab something interesting if right. you see it and, and see if it's good or not. Yeah, and then go to Board Game Geeks, and, and if it's terrible, you can rip it apart. Yeah. Other like, people, <laughs> other people have that online. rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think a good a good rule to have for, for you know, buying most anything... Um, do your research. Mm-hmm. Do do research on what you're wanting to buy before you buy it. Like a lot of a lot of people's buying are impulse buys or uh you know buying it because you have heavy interest in, you know, maybe the genre it is or or um if it's if it's an IP game, what have you. Right. Um but that just because it's a it's a well-known IP or you know, or something like that doesn't mean it's going to turn out to be a good game. Uh, so, so definitely do your research before you, uh, you know, especially if you're, if you're budgeting, um, you know, maybe you have two games you want, but you only have enough for one. Do your right. research on both and, and see which, which more or less is, is uh, a little bit more successful, uh, or, or more well liked, you know, at playing it at the table. Mm-hmm. Well, and a lot of times, and, and this is kind of, um, especially people who are sort of new to getting into the, the more serious non-Monopoly board games, um, yeah. it becomes a thing where it's like, I played something the other night that was just super cool, I love that game, so I'm going to like you know buy other games that look like that. And mm-hmm. a lot of times with board games, that can get you into a lot of trouble, because like generally the parts that you like about it, the mechanics that you like, you like it because there was something about the rules that made it in, in, engaging and, and interesting. And if you're just getting into the hobby, like you can zero in on specifically what mechanics you find enjoyable. Um, so like it's not to say it's not a good idea to like step outside your box and try something new every now and then. But you know, if you're like I, I really love Caverna because I like putting those little discs on the board. Um, well, you like worker placement games. Here, let me suggest a series of other really amazing worker placement games. Or, exactly. you know, if you don't like games like Werewolf, you probably don't like hidden identity games. Stay away from Bang, and there's a few others that, you know, you're probably not going <laughs> to really enjoy. So, um, just, uh, like, figuring out how to just, like, put words into the parts that you like about a game is the best way to keep you from buying stuff that you play once and never play again. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's... There's, you know, I, I kind of know sort of what types of games are going to go over well with our group and what types aren't. And it's not yeah. to say you can't spread out a little bit and there's not room for experimentation. But, you know, if you're if you're going to, like, drop 60 bucks on something sight unseen um, or you want to get in on a Kickstarter for something that may or may not be cool, you know, at least, at least figure out, like, what terms apply to the games that you're interested in. So... You know, is it a deck builder? Is it a, 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 a hand management game? Is it, you know, a, a roll and move? You know, okay, no one likes yeah. roll and moves. But yeah, you get the idea. 
Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, another kind of option out there for, for some board games. Um, some of them, you know, more recently I've seen uh, are coming out with apps, phone mm. apps. Mm, yeah. Like Settlers of, Settlers of Catan has a phone app. Carcassonne has a phone app. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of different board games out there that you can play for a reduced cost um, on a mobile device or on the computer. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's a good way to kind of test out the game. And if you don't like it, well, you paid four bucks for it. <laughs> it's also a great way to test out a game without a group. So, like, you know, if you've got yeah, a regular exactly. group but you don't necessarily want to waste a whole evening trying something and it's got an app, then by all means, try the app. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, they'll have also, some. Also, it's, for... it's a way to learn how to play the game a whole lot easier. Yeah, yeah. The tutorial True. modes built into that are generally a lot more solid than, than you know, mm-hmm. like starting on page one of the rules. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I personally got uh, Carcassonne on the Nintendo Switch. Um, and good it's call. super easy, super easy to play. Okay, good. Maybe you can explain exp- scoring to me because <laughs> yes. I've never figured yes, that I out. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that after the podcast. Okay. <laughs> uh, but one one last topic we have here that is very topical <laughs> to my co-hosts <laughs> uh, is, is from Mark. So, Mark, take it away. Uh, I think this is almost a little bit more of a wish of the week almost. Um, but I uh, just thought it was worth uh, throwing out uh, the topic of disaster gaming. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everybody talks about a hurricane party, but uh, ha- has anybody had any experience with... Uh, a different kind of hurricane party? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, being able to just pull out some, you know, especially if you lose power and you pull out some candles and, and play some uh, some sort of RPG or, or even a board game. You know, if if you have uh, if you're with some people, um, I've I've never done this, but it seems like a great way to to get through mm-hmm. uh, harsh times. Um, yeah, having having been through many storm related, you know, like like twenty four hour, forty eight hour like power out situations. Uh huh. Oh my god, yeah, board gaming and RPG would definitely be a great way to pass the time. Um, generally, you know, it, it will also in a situation like that, like you know, if, okay, we're talking about hurricanes here. You tend to be like it's it's high stress, you know. It's like there's storms and thunder, and you're wondering if the roof is going to fly off. And you know, that's really kind of a great time for escapist fantasy because mm-hmm. you can't help it at that point. You've done all your prep. You can't leave the house. There's really not much you can do. You know, but maybe wait. try to do something to take yeah, your exactly. mind off things. You know, exactly like, right. Yeah. yeah, just make um, it a little bit easier and reduce the PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully you have your with with a group enough that, uh, you know, you can do something, something fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, it seems like such a great way to get through that time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and let's face it. We all complain about not having enough time to, to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trapped right. in your house with no power. Hey, yeah. You yeah. got plenty. <laughs> you got plenty of time. Exactly. Oh, man. That's, that's true. That's On true. the other yeah, hand, we have, we have tornadoes AC, here. That's no fun. <laughs> well, no. Yeah, but, that's, that yeah. is true. Yeah, we have tornadoes here, so it's kind of the same yeah, same exactly. situation. Mm-hmm. Although, that'd be shorter games, right? Because, like, tornado watches generally don't last. For, well, I don't know. If, if there's, like, a tornado thing, like, how long do you stay in the cellar? Uh, it usually just depends on where it is and what direction it's going. Okay. Um, but we're talking about hours, they, not, week, not a week. 
Right, right. Yeah. It'll it'll be a, a you know a few hours. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, I That's remember I was perfect. I was working one night and I was stuck stuck at a facility for like two hours just because we were just on we were on tornado watch and there was stuff yeah. going around. But yeah, it, it was. Uh, it, it's it's not like these things don't last. You know, as as long as you know hurricanes last, definitely. Right. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it could be you know the same kind of concept on a more kind of truncated well i mean but honestly when they're when they're done you can continue playing <laughs> that's right that's true yeah so it really doesn't it's really not time specific yeah yeah great that is true oh, now yeah. i get but that. hopefully hopefully you all don't have to do any disaster gaming this uh this labor day hopefully although it does does remind me yeah that boy maybe i should uh bone up grab some extra board games just in case uh in case the power goes off for 48 <laughs> there hours. you go yes. yeah exactly Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't work well, as well with video gaming for uh, during uh, power outages. No. <laughs> no, me and my thirty-seven yeah, handhelds big to differ. But no, you're right. Video games. Yeah, me don't and have my Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, but you're right. It actually has the advantage of keeping an entire family of people like calm and contained. So yes, yeah, you know, kids included. Exactly. Uh-huh. Definitely. Uh, but I think we've talked enough on this episode. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me again today, and uh, and I look forward to the next one. And that's it for this episode of Tabletop Radio Hour. Like always, you can find this episode on SoundCloud.com slash Tabletop Radio Hour and on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. You can join us over on Facebook.com slash Tabletop Radio Hour for regular updates. We also have an email address that is TabletopRadioHour at gmail.com. Our website, tabletopradiohour.wordpress.com. You can find information about our Patreon page on our website. I want to thank you all for listening, and keep rolling 20s. Thank you.